Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you are pagans, you are enticed and led astray to idols that could not speak. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking by the Spirit of God ever says, let Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of services, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who activates all of them in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the discernment of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are activated by one and the same Spirit who allots to each one individually just as the Spirit chooses. So as I mentioned in the beginning of service, I'm reading Pastor Josh's sermon this morning. And it's important for you to keep that in mind as I read it. So please take a moment to imagine me as Pastor Josh. Um, a little less hair, glasses. I'm a big Eagles fan. Go Jalen Hurts. Uh, my office is filled with lots of Star Wars stuff. Okay, I think now we're ready to dive in to this sermon. I suspect that when we hear Paul's words about spiritual gifts in our second reading this morning, each one of us responds in one of two ways. We hear this big, long list of gifts that includes things like healing others and performing miracles, the gifts of wisdom and speaking in tongues. And we either hear all of this and easily identify ourselves and our gifts from among this list and feel good about that, or we don't see, really, how these sorts of gifts have anything to do with us because we don't seem to have any of them. So we feel kind of disappointed, left out, maybe embarrassed. Or as one person said to me this week, we might even ask, is there something wrong with me that I don't have these gifts and experiences? Most of us don't feel like we have a whole lot of wisdom or knowledge or that our faith is particularly strong. Few of us have ever experienced any kind of miraculous healing or participated in a prophecy. Within our tradition, there isn't a whole lot of speaking in tongues, much less interpreting such things. And if you're anything like me, you may not even be sure what exactly discernment of spirits even means. So what are we to do with a list like this? 
Throughout the centuries, scholars and theologians and pastors have pointed out that Paul's list of spiritual gifts isn't meant to be exhaustive or comprehensive or complete, but that he's just offering up a few of many examples. And though we have two of the letters that Paul wrote to the the Christians in the city of Corinth, we've long suspected that Paul wrote at least one more letter that we don't have. This is true, by the way. A letter that didn't make it into the Bible, that just kind of vanished over time, that none of us have seen until now. You see, this week I was cleaning up my office here at the church. It always gets messy and cluttered around Christmas, and cleaning it out is kind of a New Year's tradition for me. My office has been used so many different interns and students and pastors and storage projects over the years, so that every time I clean it, I discover something new that I've never seen before. Maybe it's Pastor Aaron's scribbled note asking for help because the youth staying overnight at the church have mutinied and taken control of the building. (laughs) Maybe it's Pastor Dan's little meditation garden with some sand and a rake that helped him stay calm when he was dealing with yet another young pastor who thought they knew everything. I find all sorts of fun stuff. This time, as I was cleaning, I found a single piece of paper that looked old. Well, ancient, really. So ancient, you might even call it scroll-like. And I realized quickly that it just had to be Paul's long-lost third letter to the Corinthians. And maybe you're thinking, hey, isn't it kind of hard to believe that an ancient letter from a man who lived thousands of years ago in the Middle East somehow made its way to your small office in Holden, Massachusetts? But honestly, I think the best thing for us is to just not think about that too hard. Just keep moving. When I opened the letter, the title at the top said, More Spiritual Gifts That I, Paul, want to tell you about now that I have a few more minutes and my hand isn't cramping up really bad, and because I'm worried, you probably missed the whole point. And just that title got me thinking, what if we have been missing the point when we think about spiritual gifts? I mean, we tend to think of spiritual things as being mystical or miraculous, or outwardly impressive. But what if that's not the case? Most of the time we think about spiritual things as being kind of separate from physical things. But what if we're wrong? What if spiritual things, what if spiritual gifts, what if the very presence of the Holy Spirit can actually be simple, mundane, ordinary, and often overlooked. Just think about communion, for instance. As Lutherans, we are part of a sacramental tradition, which means that we place a lot of emphasis on the sacraments of communion and baptism. 
For many of us, taking communion is one of the most sacred, holy, and spiritual things that we get to do and experience each week. Together, we taste God's forgiveness and grace. We feast on Christ's goodness and love. And how do we engage in this deeply spiritual act? By physically eating bread and drinking wine and grape juice. That's it. The spiritual and physical so deeply intertwined that they can't be separated. This is a deeply spiritual act, and yet it isn't particularly flashy or impressive to witness. There are no great signs or miracles that attract the masses and overwhelm the senses. Just this quiet insistence that amidst these elements is something grace-filled and holy, coming to each of us through the goodness of Jesus. In other words, holy and spiritual things can often look quite plain and ordinary. And so, what if that's true of our spiritual gifts, too? Could that be what Paul meant? And so I started to read the long-lost letter, full of excitement, It wasn't very long, but it took me a while to get through. No one ever talks about this, but Paul had pretty sloppy handwriting. I guess penmanship wasn't one of his gifts. It turned out that this list of gifts was very different from the one that included miracles and prophecy and speaking in tongues. It was simpler, more ordinary. Scribbled on the paper was this list the gift of time, the gift of uncertainty, the gift of curiosity, the gift of listening, the gift of humor, the gift of gift-giving. And strangely enough, there was a picture of Pastor Sarah next to that one. Remember, this is Pastor Josh's sermon, so I I didn't write, I didn't put that in. That was it. The gift of a soft heart, the gift of cooking. This list kind of made my head spin. Everything on it was so simple, so plain. Most of the things on it didn't even seem overtly spiritual. I mean, take the gift of humor. What's so spiritual about that? Or the gift of uncertainty. Isn't that kind of the opposite of faith? Or even the gift of cooking. How can cooking be a spiritual gift? But I tried to take the list seriously. I mean, it was written by Paul, after all. And I remembered the words from today's reading about how the gifts we receive from God's Spirit are so varied and diverse. Maybe they come in forms that I hadn't considered before. And then I remember what Paul wrote about the purpose of spiritual gifts. That they're given to us for the common good for the common good. And that's when things clicked into place. Maybe that's what makes something a spiritual gift, isn't that it's overtly spiritual in nature, but rather that it's used according to God's will. Maybe just about anything can be a spiritual gift if it's used for the common good, 
as God intends. And so I looked at that list again, the gift of time, which made me think of Pastor Ron, who always seemed to have enough time for everyone, who was never in too much of a rush to let you know that you were cared about and loved. The gift of uncertainty, which is a gift in the sense that it keeps us humble and open to learning more from others. The gift of curiosity, which allows us to build relationships with others, including those who are different. The gift of listening, which opens up a space for compassion where a person is seen and heard and valued. The gift of humor, which brings joy to those around us and binds us together. The gift of gift-giving, which builds people up and makes them feel good and included and cared for. The gift of a soft heart, which can be moved to compassion and empathy and understanding for those in need. And the gift of cooking, which made me think of all the meals you provided for my family this summer, and how that was clearly God's spirit at work in the form of lasagna and brownies and Spanish rice. Are these spiritual gifts? Or are they just personality traits or natural-born abilities? Is it even possible to know or to separate these things? After all, the same God who gives us spiritual gifts is the same God who made and formed each of us. Perhaps we should spend less time worrying about whether something is a spiritual gift and what exactly the word spiritual means anyway and simply realize that all of life is an expression of our spirituality. All of life is spiritual, and any gift that we can use to serve others, love others, care for others, to create a little more common good, is indeed a gift from God. So who cares what we call it? Let's just use it for the sake of others. Let's use it to create a little more common good. And that doesn't have to be in ways that are flashy and miraculous. We don't need to compare our gifts to others, which will inevitably leave us feeling either too prideful or too awful. We can simply be grateful for the gifts that we have because We all have some, and rejoice in the chance to use them, to use them in the regular, ordinary, everyday parts of life, at our jobs where our gifts are used by God's Spirit to serve others and seek the common good, at home where caring for children is just as much a spiritual act as time spent praying at a silent retreat, in the daily acts of life where our gifts can find simple opportunities for God's Spirit to spread a little more love, a little more grace, a little more hope. If we can learn to see spiritual gifts in this way, if we can learn to look for the power and presence of God's Spirit in the ordinary, mundane parts of life, 
then our eyes will be open to see that so many of the things we think of as normal are actually holy, spiritual moments. We will see God's Spirit at work all around us, and we will see God's invitation to join in. So whatever your gifts are, whether they seem extraordinary or mundane to you, I hope you're able to recognize them and to be grateful for them and to use them. Whether it's fixing cars or turning water into wine, cooking meals or speaking in tongues, listening in love or uttering deep wisdom, let's follow after Jesus, who gave all that he had, including his very life, in order to seek our common good by bringing us forgiveness and new life. And in case you're curious, that letter disappeared from my office. I don't know what happened to it, but I'm not too worried. It showed up exactly when it was needed, which seems to happen a lot in life. Maybe I'll clean my office again sometime soon and see what I find next. Amen.